Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's on page 1186. And I will pray. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word and in your Son, Jesus Christ. By your Holy Spirit, teach and encourage us that we might know you, love you, and serve you to your glory. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They please God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. 
In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Thanks, Sarah. Keep your Bibles open because we'll be uh, using that now. Here's a question you've probably never been asked before. What's the second best job in the world? What's the second best job in the world? My view is that the second best job in the world, not youth ministry necessarily, <laughs> is being involved in the privilege of Christian ministry. And I know that many of you are here training for Christian ministry. Some of you are today inquiring about the possibility of training. Just in case you're interested, if you want to know what the best job is, that's training people for Christian ministry. <laughs> being able to uh, help people to, to understand the Bible and to see how it can be used in ministry. And I guess I'm involved at Ridley and have been for a, a year or two um, because I believe there's nothing more strategic for the church than getting the right people into Christian ministry and equipping us for the long haul ministry. But I don't want to particularly talk to you today about Ridley, but about the kind of ministry we are training people for. Ministry that matters. And these issues are dealt with in this very rich passage in 1 Thessalonians 2, where Paul, subject to a smear campaign, speaks about his ministry in Thessalonica. And as we listen in, we have a window into the nature of Christian ministry. And I think it addresses two crucial questions. What kind of ministers do God's people need? And what kind of ministry do we need to have? Important questions for us, whether we're towards the end of our studies or simply contemplating things. What kind of ministers do God's people need? What kind of ministry do we need to have? Well, what kind of ministers do God's people need? There are in this passage, I don't know if you notice them, four pictures, four images of Christian ministry. If you look in verse 4, for example, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. It's the language of being a, a steward or a trustee, people who are given the gospel for the purpose of building up others, not just for their own value, but people who are entrusted with something for others. A similar image is in verse 9. We preach the gospel of God to you. Or in verse 2, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel. And the image here is that of a preacher or a proclaimer of the gospel. That is, we don't make the message up. We have been given a message which we now pass on and proclaim, speak out to others. But there are other images as well. Did you see that very tender image in verse 7? Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And like a, a nursing mother, gentle in our care with those whom, with whom we work. It's about as tender an image as you could find to describe the pastor caring for their people. And then in verse 11 and 12, just to balance up the gender issues, uh, we have, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. 
is this picture of an encouraging, comforting, supporting father seeking to move those in our charge towards God's values and priorities. But when we see these four images, the danger we face is in being selective. We choose the image that best suits us. But in fact, we need to make sure that we look at all four of the images. And there's a kind of a tension between the different images, isn't there? We see the first two images, that of being a trustee, a steward, and a proclaimer of the gospel, focus on the fact that we've been given a message to pass on, to teach. But on the other hand, there's the parental image, the nursing mother, the caring father, which highlights the need for gentleness, encouragement, and support towards the people we minister among. And the danger is when we opt for one or the other. If we just opt for the caring and encouraging aspect, that's a good start. We'd like ministers to be caring and encouraging, but it's a bad place to finish. If we do know more, it suggests we're trying to please people, not God. Let's face it, all of us like to be liked, but we should never be in ministry in order to gain acceptance, friendship, or security, or significance. So tempting is this that Paul says in verse 4 and in verse 6 that we're not simply to please others or to look for praise for them, but rather we are to seek to please God. We are not trying to please people, Paul writes in verse 4, but God who tests our heart. Verse 6, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. But the other danger, just as real, is to focus only on what we teach and getting it right. The message may be right, but it will be dead right. In our teaching, we're not just downloading information from our brains to those to whom we minister. We need just as much a commitment to care for and encourage God's people. We do have to have a heart for God and his gospel on the one hand, but we also have to have a heart for God's people. So a heart for God and his gospel and a heart for God's people. My observation is that most of us find one of those two aspects easier than the other. We either focus on the teaching instruction or the caring and shaping and actually we need to focus on that area that we find most difficult and different people will get different things out of coming here for college those who have already developed one aspect will find they'll be rounded off by hope in seeing the other equally important aspect so they're the four images of christian ministers and they're meant to be held together that we are both proclaimers of the gospel, people with a heart for the God and his gospel, but people who genuinely care for and encourage and support God's people. But if that's the kind of person we need, what kind of ministry should we be looking to have? And in our increasingly hostile world, our ministry and values need to stand up to public scrutiny, even more importantly, to God's searching gaze. That means that we need to make sure that how we do ministry brings honour and glory to God. 
The gospel must shape our characters, we looked at last week, but also our actions as well. And Paul, in this passage, mentions several important areas. Our motives, the danger of greed, and who we are trying to please. And finally, I guess, the power for Christian ministry. Firstly, then, our motives. Paul proclaims in verse 2 that the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motive, nor are we trying to trick you. We can't be seen to be playing fast and loose with the truth, doing whatever it takes to become successful. Wrong motives can easily slip into ministry, especially when our churches are struggling. And one of the accusations leveled against Paul is that he was only in it for the money. He was a, a, like a traveling salesman who was peddling the gospel. And he insists in verse 5, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. And he reminds him in verse 9 that he worked for a living so that he didn't have to ask them for money. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone. He wasn't in it for the money. Although as a Christian minister, he'd be entitled to financial support. Paul waived this right because of the sneer campaign directed against him. Or else our motive could become people pleasers, even at the expense of honouring God, preaching what people want to hear, leaving out the tough stuff. We wouldn't have ended the passage today with those words, the wrath of God has come upon them at last, if we wanted to be people pleasers, would we? Godly ministry will make those hard calls because we know that we're accountable to God. In verse 4, Paul says, We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. The second thing I think we see in terms of the nature of ministry is the importance of modelling. If you've ever been on Christian camps, they used to exist before COVID and they're coming back now, you often find there's a tremendous atmosphere and enthusiasm for serving God that's infectious, contagious. When the Thessalonians accepted the gospel, it was a bit like that. Look uh, back to chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, where Paul writes, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. We should never underestimate the power of modelling. How we treat people, how we relate to people is going to make it either easier or harder others to see what God is like. In the last couple of months, we've got a new minister at our church. And one of the things that he's done is to try to genuinely be involved in the lives of people and let them know that he's actually for them and has made a world of difference in terms of the openness of people to the message he's begun to preach. We need to model to others what it means to serve God. Paul writes in verse 8, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. 
And in verse 10, he calls on them as witnesses of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. The people in our care will be better able to hear what we're teaching when they see God's character and values modeled in our lives. Well, if that's the need for integrity, the importance of modeling, what are the goals that we ought to have in Christian ministry? We see that in this passage as well. Our goal towards people who don't yet know Jesus, and Paul lets this goal slip out at the very end of the passage, speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. We're in the rescue business. Paul writes earlier in chapter 1, when he describes the Thessalonians, and he says how you turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming life. Paul's goal is that people might be brought back into a living relationship with God through Jesus, that they would have a fresh start, a new life, a clean slate. And that's our overarching goal. Other goals must be useful, may be useful, but this must always be our first goal for those who do not yet know Christ. Ministry must be centred on the gospel, the good news, which gives people fresh hope and new direction in life. But Paul also talks about his ministry to Christians. And Paul's goal here is set out, I think, most clearly in verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of not just encouraging and comforting people, but urging you to live lives worthy of God. Encouraging people to stick at it when the going's tough, when their home life, their peer group and their circumstances threaten to swamp them. And when things are going well, we need to urge people to keep on growing into the kind of person who is pleasing to God. And finally, we see in this passage the power for Christian ministry. And it's there in verse 13. Paul reminds us that he was passing on a, a message entrusted to him that the power behind his gospel was the living and active word of God. He writes, when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. That word which Isaiah 55 tells us will not return without accomplishing God's purpose. For Paul's hearers, it was the spoken word. But what was then spoken is now written, and we have it recorded in Scripture. And has the same power and centrality in God's purposes. Note that lovely description at the end of verse 18. The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. God's word doesn't just bring us to faith, but builds us up and helps us to well, what kind of ministers does God church, God's church need? Paul tells us that we need people who both teach and care, who get both the message right and get relationships right. People with a heart for God and his gospel, people with a heart for you. What kind of ministry will we have? Will we be people of integrity? Will we model God's truths in our lives? Well, we set as our goals to so teach about God's purposes centred in his word and his son that our hearers will have the information and encouragement they need to enter into a right relationship with the living Lord Jesus. 
this kind of ministry is possible. Not because of our natural abilities, not because we're the smartest people in the world, not because we're the keenest people in the world, the most experienced people, but because we serve such a great God. God who entrusts us, his people, with his work and equips us with what we need. So let's persevere in prayer and the study of God's word so that we can encourage each other to do so. In the end, it will be God's power that will keep us ministering effectively. God can do ministry. He can do ministry through us. Lord God, thank you for the encouragement in your word in which you explain to us the kind of ministers you're looking for in your people and the kind of ministry we need to have. Please help those students who are already here at college to have their ministry shaped by you and your word. Give them a heart for God, his gospel and his people. But we pray too for those who are visiting today. Some of whom will come into college and some of whom won't. But we pray that in all their future ministry, you will guide them to have both this heart for you and your word, 